And just to let you know, we have the latest article, The Season That Never Happened, on The Countryman's Diary. Please go and check it out. Thank you very much. Bye. Good evening, Robert. Good evening, Greg. How you doing, buddy? Not bad, not bad. Still recovering from last night's Foxing episode. Got home here about one-ish. <laughs> I know, I got your messages. I, I messaged you at the same time. I just got in the door myself. Yeah. So, yes. I christened the 223, though, so that was nice and easy. And the oh, landowner's awesome. happy that they're one less fox down going through all the stables, the rubbish bags and everything else that they got there. Oh, my area. Yes. Well, time to pull up a, a bar stool and lean on the bar and have a chat, I reckon. Oh, I think so. I'm just going to pour, I'm just having the landlord pour me a nice pint of Murphy's Irish steak. Oh, look at that. Oh, black and creamy on the top. Absolutely gorgeous. This show is not sponsored by any Irish beers. <laughs> well, it might be at this rate. <laughs> no, sponsored by the buggers who's drinking them, though. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. So how's your week been? Well, it's been, as I can say, flat out like a lizard drinking. Now that feeling. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been an eventful old week. Um, a lot of things in the local news as well. We've got ghastly housing estates just popping up over prime farmland ruining the place. I mean, I've got all these people saying, oh, we need uh, social housing and we need all this. And I'm like, why build all over our lovely farmland when you've got all the scrap ground just gone to waste? Yes. But so, apparently people like the countryside. They don't like the smells or the people in it, but they like the countryside. Don't get that. No, I, I get it. I mean, <laughs> when Farmer went on holiday, and uh <laughs> He said to me, can you look after the farm? He said, the sons will look after the milk. And then he said, but just make sure it's all running smooth. He said, because he said, if I leave them buggers in charge on their own, he said, they'll forget to do most things and whatever. I said, yeah, no worries. He was a good old, he's an old friend of me, my uncle, who was the farmer. And um, so I kept going in, checking on things, doing stuff. And then this uh, farmer sold one of the houses on, on, the, on the farm. And... Uh, it was a family, well, it was a second home from London. It was like their holiday, called them their country home, you know, down from London. Oh, yes. And, uh, and uh, he bumped into me this one morning when I was checking the cattle in the field in one of the paddocks there. He was just making sure they'd been fed and everything else. And he bumped into me, he says, Isaiah, old big fellow, he said, uh, do you think this farmer puts his cows in this field to annoy me purposely, mooing and pooing and all the rest of it? Say what? You what are you say, old mate? He went. I say they put these blooming cows here purposely. He said, ruins a lovely smell. He said, with a beautiful smell of the country, ruined by all this cow poo and everything else. Well, I broke into a form of West Country. I don't think he realised that I could uh, muster up. And uh, the, the conversation finished with, "Why don't you bugger off back to London where you be on? We'll keep Aye. our bullshit in the country, and you can keep your bull, your bull crap in London." Oh yes. Oh uh, yeah, and I was breaking into a form of country that uh, doesn't get stirred up very often no the trouble is I know of a farmer who retired he sadly passed away 
The son carried on working the farm, but at the bungalow and thought, well, we might as well sell it, make some money for the farm. And some um, <laughs> ex-city dwellers purchased it and then actually brought a lawsuit about the farmer's son for um, devaluing the property, making the countryside smell funny, and a few other clauses they wanted to throw at the poor boy. All because he sold Faber's bungalow. Uh, never worth it. No. Never worth it. I've learned that in the long run. <laughs> oh, yes. What we got on our topics this week, then? Because... Uh... Um, well, a current topic, and it's still actually quite warm off Facebook this week, is the use of horses and mobile phones on the road whilst riding and in carriage work, etc. And the other subject that also cropped up on this post is the subject of children riding on the road as well. What's your thoughts on that then, Rob? Well, using the phone while operating any machinery or even animal as in this, this respect is on the road is a bit of a, a bit of a tricky one. I mean, you, you ain't going to drive your truck or your tractor down a road whilst having a yarn on the phone. Now, bear in mind that horse has got a brain, and uh, it's like you know, if it sees like a set of ducks crossing the road or anything like that, they could end up in the hedge. Yeah, she won't go there, Robert. Point <laughs> <laughs> it backed up into a hedge about six foot. Yes. My lovely old Irish draft mare, 16-2, built like a tank, sat like an armchair when you're riding her. And this pair of ducks crossed the field back to the cottage they lived in. Obviously, they knew it was tea time. My old mare decided I don't like these things and decided to walk backwards up a six-foot Cornish hedge with me still sat on her back. I'm now looking down at the road on about a 95-degree angle straight down. Dad had to ride his pony back to come and get mine, bloody great thing, to walk past two ducks. Never forgotten <laughs> that. <laughs> Them old A-burners, they can, uh, they got a funny, they got a funny mind of their own, them things. Oh, yes. I mean, blame me, old George, I mean, Christ, he's a share across Clydesdale, he's still with us, he's down with the hunt, I put him on permanent loan with the hunt, and uh, so he got feet bigger than dinner plates, but work all day on the logs everything else but go along the road ride and drive lovely but don't go near a drain cover because he don't like them he just step sideways on the other side of the road yeah my old so, mare used to do that sidestep the bloody things you're walking along a straight line next thing you're three foot over three foot back again and one goes like what the heck's going on here yeah oh, you know like I said they a burner's got a mind of their own at times yes um, you know we got um, you know I remember god blimey I remember talking about ride and drive I remember Uncle Dave, Farmer Dave, and uh, we were taking old Blaze, uh, his old cob out, for a bit of exercise. And old, old Blaze, he was a lazy butter. He'd be perfect on the chains and work hard, you know, but he didn't like pulling that cart very much. He didn't like trotting along her, you know. Well, and, I wouldn't uh, want to pull Uncle Dave around either. He's built like a man mountain. <laughs> well, he's, yeah, he was, he was even bigger then, you know. He was like, you know, he was, he was still chucking hay bales around back then. And um, we were, I remember going up through Whitchurch Village. And uh, we, I was about, oh, I suppose I was about 17, yeah, 17 or 18, maybe. No older than 18. And uh, I had woman trouble, as you do at that age. And, uh, you know, my girlfriend at the time, we were 
we had a little bit of a scare that might have ended up filling up a buggy or two. And uh, I, I turned to Uncle Dave for advice. And uh, all I remember, <laughs> we're going up through Whitchurch Village. And we're just approaching the, uh, we're going up a slight incline. And of course, you've got to get, get Blaze on. You've got to give him, give him a bit of a crack of the whip a little bit just to get on. You know what I mean? And uh, Uncle Dave said, well, you know, you, we're just approaching this bus stop full of people it was. And uh, sorry, Uncle Dave, but I got to tell this one because this is funny. And I know you're tuning in and listening, so uh, I hope you're enjoying your beer and uh, don't spill it in your lap. But we're going up, we're going up, and he's, if you can imagine, we're on the exercise cart, so it's the two-seater cart, and he's, he's driving Blaze on, and uh, get on, boy, get on, and all this sort of stuff. And he turns on his sense, he said, well, I shouldn't worry about it, I expect it's just ladies' pains, you know, talking about the time of the month for a lady. And they laid his pains, he said, just just ladies. At this point, just as we go past the bus stop, he stands up. Instead of saying, get on, he goes, ladies pains, ladies pains, get on, ladies pains. <laughs> <laughs> All the people on the on the bus stop, I still see this old woman now. She just her, her, her sweet to reverse. She's like, there's these two airy ass bloody country blokes going past riding the Orson cart going ladies pains get on ladies pains <laughs> <laughs> and Uncle Dave wants to do a podcast with us and so does dad and uh, that'll be some funny old stories there about the bunny club and all sorts and I guarantee you I would say we'd have it both together but there would never be a word in edgeways for either of us would there <laughs> oh Christ don't do it together because if we do, we do we do it together three hours later we'll still be here <laughs> I mean, and that'll only cover the first 25 years of stories well, do you know, you know, we always meet up for Christmas in the pub, or when we could go to the pub. Um, you know, What's sit up? around a fire. I don't know, somewhere we used to have beer years ago. Oh, but, uh, and that's where they make eggs as well. Yes. <laughs> Referring to a previous podcast, you'll have to find out what that is by listening to the one before. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> so, uh, you know, me, and my dad, and my uncle Dave. You know, we're all our birthdays is around Christmas, like, you know, 23rd, 24th, 28th, 19th of Jan, that sort of stuff. You know, all of our birthdays are around the Christmas period. So we all celebrate on, on one day just before Christmas, literally, you know, because Uncle Dave's is Christmas Eve. So we all don't know 23rd, which is my dad, dad's birthday. And we sit in the pub and we talk about old times and the funny stories and the different things that have happened. And, and we're, we're, talking quietly we're West Country when we're sat by the fire we're talking and people can't help but listen and before you know it we're surrounded by people all listening to our conversations and the funny stories and I did, so I did say to Dad and Uncle Dave well we'll have to get them on a podcast and get them down so that those stories are immortal they're there they're immortalised like my like my books all the funny stuff that's happened in my books are all true stories of stuff that actually happens in the field or wherever you know because I, I I've always believed that the funny things that happen within field sports, country sports, farming, you name it, couldn't happen anywhere else. No. You know, so, you know, and, and if you weren't involved or didn't know, you'd never believe it. You know. Very true. <laughs> so, you know, like if we get that on, you've got, to like, you've got to talk about the rabbit with the brown stripe or the, or the dog with the green head or something like that or... Uh, the rabbit yeah. with the brown stripe reminds me of the joke about the bear in the woods, but we won't go there. <laughs> well, it's it's something very, very similar. Oh, very, no. very similar. <laughs> yeah. So so so's the major's uh, Highland Terrier with the green head. 
Oh my days! That's something, something very similar as well, and it's a, it's a very funny true story. And uh, I still remember the major going. And Chippy, if he's listening, you'll remember this, Chippy. I, the, the major's voice on that frozen, frosty Sunday morning. Of good God, man, what have you done to my dog? We won't ruin them stories. I want Uncle Dave and our dad and everybody to, 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 to tell those. But like I say, if Chippy's listening, I guarantee you he'll be laughing now because he was one of the witnesses that was there when these things happened. And uh, oh, another one was the, was the Springer Spaniel with the brown stripe. Oh my days! That's that's another one to um to to, to, to talk about and uh, but you know like I say that we, I want Uncle Dave and Dad to, to tell those stories and all come in in, in pieces because uh, they were there and it's their stories so uh, uh, there's all sorts of hilarious things you know even like you know even one where you know if Nobby's listening I'm sure he's listening because he messaged me the other day saying he nearly fell off his scaffolding when he was listening to it uh, when, when we caught the rabbit on a le- Corona lemonade bottle. Uh, now just swinging back to the tangent of the horses again what age do you think children should be allowed out on the roads because as I explained this gentleman earlier from the age of six I had my own pony by eight I was out on the roads full time training father used to walk alongside because he always worked with horses Um, by 10, 11 I was out on my own riding well as you've just said it there right there and then to be honest any age I don't care what minimum age you are as long as they're under supervision you've got a suitable adult that can teach them and show them and lead on and all that sort of stuff and can control any situation and as they get as you get older you you know it's like riding a bike how old do you want a kid to ride a bike on the road you know yeah. you do your cycling proficiency and to be honest there is some wonderful training courses out there as well as all these things I've just um, looked into it for one of my young sports Joe's uh, got himself a little Shetland pony he's one of my he's two of his brothers are my ambassadors for pass it on um, dad's a farmer and he, they just bought him a little Shetland pony and little training cart and uh, my Masonic secretary for the fishing charity Masonic fishing charity um, he's a big um, Shetland pony man you know does all the driving and everything else and uh, he's given us the details to get in touch with the local coaches and stuff for the uh, ride and drive association or something like that I can't remember the exact name it's on the, on the email um, and uh, you know so there's training and everything else so I'm not worried about an age I just think they just need to be taught properly sensibly and you know until a certain age have a suitable adult a competent adult with them on about your young sports I haven't seen young George for a while you sacked him no 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 he's do you know what young George has done wonderful um you know, obviously I took him under my wing when he was at school. His mum, mum and I went to school together, and you know he was getting in a bit of trouble and different things. And uh, she said, "Look, you take him under your wing." And he had a real flair for the shooting and everything else. And uh, he soon became one of my young sport ambassadors. Now he's now eighteen, going on to nineteen. Um, and the funniest thing was, is I actually had him out with me today because he's a qualified chef now, doing a wonderful job. Actually, brilliant chef. He makes some wonderful stuff. Um, but I had a mate with me today because he's on furlough as uh, a restaurant's shut at the moment. And uh, I had a mate with me did checking traps and helping on a um, squirrel control job in a plantation. And uh, yeah, we had a, I had a mate today, but uh, I, I did have to give him a lesson in marksmanship. Oh, why is that, Rob? Uh, well, I had a, a bottle, a little plastic bottle on a branch where I was zeroing a right air rifle. Uh, 
you know, just off the ground. And uh, was my sister was there with her actually, and uh, zeroed it and sorted it out for him. You know, zeroed it at 30 yards. Now, the last time I saw George shoot with his air, his air rifle, with Springer, was at the range, and we zeroed it at 25, 30 yards. And uh, we got to the top of the wood there and everything else, and uh, I said, well, better fire off then, because before we get to the car. And he said, I said, well, I said, I'll try it. Let's see my target bottle down there, my plastic bottle. He said, stick one in that. He said, you'll never hit that with this rifle from here, it's 60 yards away. I said, I'll never hit it. I said, the gun's more than capable. And he said, no, no, no. He said, so he handed me the gun. He said, go on and prove it. I said, what do we zero at? He said, 30 yards. So I, you heard me visually calculate it. I calculated it, right? And um, this old over, that old over. We've got a northeast wind coming in, right? Blah, blah, blah. Winded. Yep, this is where we're going to go. There's a wonderful, there's a wonderful video going to be coming out tomorrow. I, I was at smack center first shot. George proceeded for the next five or six shots and scared it a little bit, but that was about it. Oh dear. <laughs> it's just, it's, it, it, all it is is learning teaching him to learn like, like all of everyone they've got to learn to use their scopes now like, it ain't like the scopes what you and I grew up with where you barely had a crosshair and you had to calculate it in your head you see the shot you take the shot you know these, you mean these, the these, better over the scope than it was through the scope yeah yeah pretty much you know like when we were kids but, you know what I mean we learned to shoot but uh, you know nowadays these these modern scopes I mean they've got all, everything on there the windage they've got all your mill dots you've got it's all there you know, I mean, this thing's got a zoom on it. You could see a, a moth uh, flap its wings at a thousand meters, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you know, I cranked it up and then calculated the shot with his mill dots of what we from what we zeroed with, allowed the windage that I thought was right, and you know, I hit the target. You know, it's, it's hit or miss. Um, even George shook his head and said, "Every time you do it first time." I said, "Well." I'm a bit of a title bugger. I'm a typical West Country boy. I'm tired of the ducks back, so I don't like to waste lead or air. No. Or anything. So, uh, you know, so he hit it and he just, his face couldn't believe it, you know. And then he went on, had a few more shots. So I had a couple more shots and, and, and smacked the bottle a couple of times. And I said, there, that's all you got to do. He said, I'd never believe a rifle could do it. I said, you got to remember, my boy. I said, the only weak link in the chain of this is you gun's not the weak link the gun will do it I said out to a certain distance I'm not going to say extreme distances but you know out to a certain distance he was about 60 yards and if that was a squirrel I'd have shot him in the head and he'd have been stone dead oh yes a lot of people think you need all this this super power to kill but in actual fact you only need a couple of pound of pressure on target to kill yeah they've worked out air rifle doing about 11.5 11.6 pounds at the breach or the muzzle, sorry, got the right end. Um, it's still at something like 100 yards, if you can get the pellet to fly that far, still doing something like one and a half, two foot pounds, which is enough to kill, so. Absolutely, that's why, one of the reasons that I teach, when well, the way I teach, and, and that the backstop has got to be 100%. You know, look, shooting down onto this bottle today, I'm shooting down into a grass bank right behind the bottle. I'm elevated and shooting down into the bank, so it was a perfect um but equally you've got to know where your pellets or projectiles are going you, i mean i've i've tried to train people with larger bore rifles and i've set out a series of targets and they want to take the best shot that is right on their horizon what the hell are you doing 
you don't want to take that shot. Why? And you've got to go through the whole rigmarole and explain it. Do you know what's behind that hill for starters? Do you know, do you know where your bullets go? You know, things like that. And they're like, no. And I said, well, before you take a shot, you need to know. And you've got to have a yeah. backstop. There's 101%. And even when you've got a brilliant, beautiful backstop, there's always that chance of a ricochet. And if people want to see Long Range Air Rifle, your mate Ted's still got a good channel, hasn't he? Oh, Ted, Ted's old over. Yeah. Yeah, Ted. I mean, I mean, I, I will say Ted and I shot together and stuff. And, um, you know, he shot with me. I got the funny story about the rabbit that, with me that I had to shoot for him. Um, and the disco <laughs> rap and all sorts of stuff. I, you know, there's, there's some funny stories there. But Ted is a hell of a shot. He is a brilliant shot. <clears throat> and, um, you know, he, I remember him saying, well, in fact, where you shot a rabbit with me once on one of the sports ground complexes we do. Yeah. You remember where you shot one? Yes. Yeah. Ted shot one from almost identically the same spot, but his was about three times the range of yours. That's fair enough. <laughs> Just means I've got three times the distance of bloody walking get the bloody thing. <laughs> well, that's, that was that was my bloody exact words what I said to him. I said, here, I said, you shot it, you go and get it. Now climb over a fence. I'm not going over for it. That bloody fire was matter with you, man. Yeah. But no, uh, yeah, no, we had a lot of banter. That was, you know, like disco rat. That was funny. Um, you know, we ran a chicken shed and uh, a well-known member of the field sports community, as it were. Um, oh, yeah. very, very, very big man, but taller than you. And uh, he um, he left because he didn't like it. And it's amazing. I said this before. A little rat can turn the biggest, hardest bloke into a big screaming Jesse, just just like that. Oh yes, but saying that some of these rats these days, I was chatting to um, a young man who's taken up the shooting world and FAC, and was helping me with this fox last night. Um, and I explained what size breech you got. He went size nine. I said the rat will fit in it quite comfortably. He looked a bit shocked. <laughs> in fact, George, I tell you a story. Um, he was helping me on a big rat contract. And uh, we were using the awesome air arms, S510 Ultimate Sporters. And I'd shot a pile, you know, we, and it got, got quite late. And I said, look, you know, it's getting well past midnight now. We better call it a night. So I went in with me litter picker grabber thing into this feed store to pick up with me bucket to pick up all the rats. And at this point, one of the biggest rats I've ever seen tried to make a beeline past me. George says, I've never, he's never seen me move so fast. If he blinked, he'd missed it. And I cl clubbered this rat on the back of his nut as he went past me with my, my my grabber, which was my best grabber, and it smashed into Severines. It was in like 10 pieces. Well, you know, I gave him a bit of a very uh, well goodbye with the end of my boot as well and made sure that one was dead because he was a big old thing. And you see me holding up in one of the pictures, I'll show you it. Oh, you've probably seen it. And uh, cool, I'll tell you what. If you were a size 13 boot, he'd struggle to fit in it. He was a big old rat, that one. Yeah. Some of these, um, especially the poultry producers, do like chicken and turkey. It yeah. is literally a few weeks from chicks to fully grown and oven ready, for better of a word. And these rats get on this high protein food, but they're there all the time feeding on it. Blimey. Yeah. That's what this was is high protein uh, calf feed um, in, a, in a feed yard, feed store. Uh, and I'll tell you what, there wasn't a small rat amongst them, and, but that one there was a Schwarzenegger rat. <laughs> so when you killed it and it turned around, I'll be back. 
Not when I gave him my reply, he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, no, even George. You, you asked George if ever you see him. He said he'll tell you. He often tells that story. He was the biggest rat he's ever seen. He never seen me move so fast. I don't like letting them get away. Talking of rats, I always remember we were we were doing it with the terriers. Two funny things happened this day, and I was calling on this uh, very well known uh, place that had a problem with rats around a feed group. Uh, silos they tried everything and they couldn't get rid of them they were plagued so uh, we went in with the terriers and the smokers and uh, sorry Mike if you're listening i got to tell you this one tell this one and uh, basically you go behind this container and a wall to the cattle barns was about five foot so sort of come up about level with your chest and he went behind this big old tough Welshman said he's a big old tough Welshman that deals with rats and all sorts all the time he ran behind. He went behind here with his terriers, and all the, the you know smokers was going. Rats was bolting in all direction. Next thing, he comes running out, and I following along behind him at head height along the wall with his rats. He came out screaming like a right Jesse. So I just went what 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 with my rat bat. He dealt with him, and as I hit him off, the dogs nailed him. I said, I said, well, I thought you was a big tough man, blade running out of there. He said, you see the size of them rats? I went, these are small ones from right here. So as it's going on, my son Ryan's there. And he just got his uh, little Lakeland Terrier, Chip. She was about nearly a year old. And uh, he's there having a right whale of a time. At this point, a rat runs up a drain pipe, a downpipe that's off the side of a building, just led on the floor. Yep. So I said, rat gone in the downpipe. He went, what? Is it rat in the downpipe? Well, what he do? He picked it up. And this this downpipe's about 12 foot long. He picked it up and pointed it in the air and looked up up the drain pipe. <laughs> at this point the rat is now sliding towards him right <laughs> but, but instead of chucking it down and letting the dogs deal in with it he starts trying to blow it back at the pipe so he's there going <laughs> trying to put, the, all right, put the bloody thing down he's trying <laughs> to blow the rat back at the pipe well the rat came out the dogs nailed it and he ended up about two foot long and um, you know as terriers do gave it yeah. a good ragged I absolute tears yeah mm-hmm. I'll, tell you, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you a funny one I, this is from when I was a well, a youngster uh, what I say about what was I about 15 16 something like that and uh, the shoot next door to Uncle Dave's farm um, it, it finished we're in about this time of year February time and they had the birds in the putting the pens and rattles everywhere and they said it, we organised a ratting day and in fact this is actually written in my book my uh first book uh ratting with lucy my uh my, my jack russell and uh <laughs> we, had, we split up into two teams the gamekeeper went and did all around the yard and all this sort of stuff and me uncle dave and stig and lee and a few of the others we all went up around the pens the, the pheasant pens yeah and uh, now uncle dave I, I can only describe him as he looked like grizzly adams with with a blue overalls and, and had no boots. <laughs> Uh, that's Uncle Dave. I mean, you know, I mean, he, you know, he, he'd be out on the farm. He'd have nothing else on but them bloody overalls, mind. No under, underwear, nothing. That's all he wore. That and no boots. <coughs> and uh, yeah, he looked like Grizzly Adams. And uh, he's, like I say, he's a man mountain. And uh, <laughs> he's in this pen. He started up the, the, the smoker, and we got rats popping out like corks out bottles. I mean, bits of blue pipe, water pipe going down, terriers going in, whippets, you name it. I think one of the girls had a poodle. Um, you know, these farm girls. 
And uh, at this point, the rats is all bolting. He, Uncle Dave puts the smoker down, right? At, at the point of all these rats bolted towards him. So he's trying to hit them and stamp them. Dog's coming. And as he stepped back, he tripped ass over t- oh, can't figure that. He's tripped backwards over the um <laughs> over, over the over the smoker, right? So he lands on his back. At the same point, a rat dives for cover, but almost under his backside. Well, a quick-eyed terrier jumped straight in, grabs the rat, but grabs Uncle Dave by the nether regions as well. Oh! And he's jumping around this pheasant pen, screaming like a banshee, shoot the dog, shoot the dog! Because <laughs> like, this dog's latched on. So bear in mind, he's got a rat and a terrier latched onto his nether regions. Oh dear! And, he's and I swear, in slow motion, everything just stopped. Even the rats stopped and looked as if to say, "What the hell is going on there?" You know, even the dogs had everything. We got him off, and you know, we dealt with the rat and everything else. And um, it was funny, and uh, it was really funny. And well, the first thing he did was right in front of all the girls. Everything he just ah drops his drops his uh, uh, boiler suit, and uh, to check to see did, what the dog had bit a hole in. <laughs> and, uh, and, and you know, all she'd done was pinch the very, very tip of the skin on 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 the um on the ball bag. Um, yeah, so she just pinched the very, very tip of the, the thing. Of course, that he felt like a load of wasp thing in her, somewhat. I expect. And he would jump around like. And of course, we never let him live that down because we we all had, you know typical country boys. We all end up in the local pub, you know, and uh, having a laugh for the day. And uh, that's when. Uh, yeah, that's when I went to them big old tough farm girls. She was about a year or two older than me. And uh, you know the girls I mean, Greg. Proper yep. farm girls who can chuck a bale of straw around, you know. They're not one of these girls that get get there with a lettuce sandwich. They are there, there with a steak sandwich and pick pick the bales up with one arm. Yeah, and, uh, and if you're upset, you, you end up with a pitchfork up somewhere. <laughs> well, you know, be being a sort of 15, 16-year-old, shy, retiring sort of type, you know. You um, shy? <laughs> yeah, you know, so I turned on a bit of the spiel, chatting them up, and uh, let's just say she taught me how to kiss in the back of that Land Rover that night. Uh poor girl, I had to kiss you. <laughs> but you know, we remain good friends. I still see her from time to time. Yeah, she's a good old girl. <laughs> One of uh, but, yeah, my life. When, as most people know, I was a chef, but I also had my horses at the same time. So first thing in the morning. It would be down, feed them, especially winter time, um, let them out, muck out the stalls, and then in the afternoon I used to rebed the stalls, water, and bring them back in, in between shifts at work. So every morning I would turn up at work in my normal clothes, smelling of basic horse manure and haylage. But I had no choice, and that's the life I took. And my old boss, Roger, was from Hertfordshire, Hertfordshire, whichever way you want to say it. But he was still a townie at heart, and he actually uh, went to school next to the, I believe it's the Thorntons chocolate factory, and they used to throw all the seconds over the school wall, would you believe, at lunchtime for the children. And he was a heller. You'd make him a cup of coffee, and he would get busy doing stuff, and it'd be cold. Then you'd microwave it and explode it in the microwave. So then you've got to stop what you're doing and clean the microwave. Um, but he told me his lovely story. He was on holiday. I think it was um, one of the nice Mediterranean islands. I can't remember which one off the top of my head. It might have been Cyprus or somewhere. 
and romantic ride on the horse along the beach, Rob. Yeah. And he got on this horse and the horse looked at him, he looked at the horse, and they went halfway along the beach, the horse stopped, grabbed hold of his knee, bit it, pulled him clean out the saddle and buggered off down the beach on its own. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, why didn't you get it back? The bloody thing just buggered off, he said. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I got this view of this horse just turning back with his head going crunch, whoosh, with him off yeah. the saddle. <laughs> Get off my back. Yeah. Do you know, you know I, I, had a, I had a wonderful time, uh, uh, you know, a bit of a ranching time in. Uh, we were in Mexico and uh, we were riding uh, on this ranch and we went out on this beach and I'll only call it, I can only call it Jurassic Park Horses because we got out onto this beach in Mexico and uh, it was just like a scene from Jurassic Park. It was, it was eerie. Uh, you know, I just, I, I just imagine a Tyrannosaurus Rex coming out of all these rushes and stuff onto the beach. And, uh, <laughs> at this point, I looked out across the water, and there's a V formation of birds coming out. So I thought it was pterodactyls. Right? Do you know what they turned out to be? What was that? Pelicans. I'm right. A load of pelicans coming. Now, bear in mind this this ocean, the, the sea. You know, there's tiger sharks and bull sharks around there, and all sorts of stuff. So our guide decides to say, yeah, let's take the horses for a swim. Well, being mm-hmm. young and impetuous, he goes, yeah, that'll do. We'll, we'll have a crack on that. So we're all out there. And what I will say, swimming with a horse ain't as romantic as it looks. No. As soon as they get in the water, they start breaking wind and uh, letting loose with whatever they got in their back end. So you end up swimming around with uh, clumps of horse poo everywhere. But, yes. yeah, that was, um, <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that was funny. I'll tell you another funny story, but it worse. One of my clients, she's a very, uh, prestigious lady, well known within the, uh, equestrian world. Um, she was friends with Princess Margaret and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, I was doing a pest control job on her yard and that's right there. And I had to go and do a fox job actually because she kept very, very rare ornamental fowl, like you know, old English stuff, you know, that's almost extinct and that sort of thing. Yep. Uh, and, uh, so I stuck a couple of rabbits I shot out in the middle of this paddock. We'll use it like a stink pit to get the foxes where I wanted to shoot them because, you know, cause I, I couldn't shoot them by the yard or whatever. And uh, she said, oh, by the way, a big white horse, she said, he, he doesn't like being in the stable. He, I leave the door open. He wanders in and out as he pleases. Otherwise, he kicks the hell out of the stables. He says, "Fair enough, shit." But he doesn't like men. He said, "So don't go near him because he'll probably bite you or something." I said, "Well, oh, that's fair enough. You're not a problem." And you know, I've been around horses all my life. Yeah. So, uh, and I still remember it. A guy was stood up on the on the roof. Welsh, Welsh lad again. Funny enough, and uh, he was there spotting with the with the night sight spotter for me. And I'm sat in the passenger seat. Well, no, I'm sat in the driver's seat with the rifle out the window. The passenger door's open. He's got up on the roof because he don't like horses either. Scared stiff. <laughs> and, uh, in fact, it's the same one that was scared stiff of the big cat story I told you and wouldn't get out and open the gate because there's a big cat there. Oh, dear. Yeah, same guy. <laughs> and, um, so, yeah. He, uh, this horse comes trotting over and I saw it makes a bit of friends with him giving him a smooth and you know and everything else he was happy a bit begin poo this horse he just took to me well he decided he wanted to get in the passenger seat of the car in the truck 
before my show. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and he, he couldn't get his old body in there because he was too bloody big. But what he did do, he got his front end in over the passenger seat, put his head in my lap, I'm tickling his ear, and he fell asleep. So I've got a horse's backside sticking out the passenger side of my truck. Right? So when uh, this very thing, she came out to make sure everything was locked up and everything else, bring a cup of tea out to us, boys. And uh, she said, she came out, she said, she couldn't believe it. She said, oh, I could see it was his, my horse, his backside sticking out your truck. I come around and he's asleep on your lap. She said, that horse <laughs> don't like me. She said, he don't like me. And I said, well, you've got a funny good job showing it. She said, you're the only one he's ever took to. I said, well, that normal with horses or dogs normally take to me because we're uh, sort of a pack animal or whatever. I don't know what aura I give off or whatever, but usually never really have a problem with them. But yeah, bloody horse to sleep on me lap. There was actually a good picture of it somewhere. I'll have to look it up and send, show you it. Yeah, I got. We took a picture of it through the driver's window, with me with the rifle out the window, with a horse asleep in me lap. And he, the horse is led there with his eyes shut, right? <laughs> with his front end straight, straight across the, the passenger seat. Yeah, that's, you know, this, she couldn't believe it because she was going to send it into horse in anger or something. <laughs> so yeah, so uh, you know, all funny stories. Oh yes. They always say, staring into a horse's eye, you're staring into your own soul. I could agree with that. I mean, I did some stuff. I did a little bit of work a little while ago, uh, natural horsemanship with Monty Roberts. Uh, you've probably seen a couple of pictures on Facebook back in the day. Um, yeah, I remember Monty. You know, and Monty's a wonderful guy, full of stories, like everyone. You know, they've got, got wonderful stories, wonderful stories. Um, and as growing up with horses, you know yourself. There's just... There's just a language that, you, that when you know, you know. Yeah. Um, that's, that's all I can say on that one. I can't teach it. I can't explain it, but it just, when you know, you know. I mean, it's like up on, on the one up there when the uh, when the farmer's uh, son, she go, they go skiing and stuff, and he leaves me in charge of all the colts and stuff. You've seen the pictures, and they're these colts. Um, and they're wild buggers, you know. They are. They 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 run bunkers, youngsters. But uh, you know, they're soft as putty around me. I'm, you know, all I got to do is whistle a certain tune now, and they know I'm coming with a feed bucket or whatever. Yeah. So when I'm out on those hills and they're they're galloping up and down the hills, and all I do is, especially if I'm there at night dealing with something, they 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 get a little bit um protective over their paddocks and things and. All I got to do is just let them know a certain whistle, a certain tune, and they know it's me. And they calm right down, and they just talk. They walk right over. You know, what I mean. So there's one particular one I nicknamed him Socks, and he's so to anyone else they call him Nipper because he bites, but never be soft as a brush with me. And uh, I've done loads of stuff with him, and uh, I've even shot a fox shooting over the top of his back, using him as a rest, and he took no notice whatsoever. Soft as a brush with me. Yep. You know, I did an old Indian style, used the horse um, as camouflage of me. But, I mean, the fox was a tricky bugger, and he was killing killing their prize fowl that they had there. There was some you know, beautiful uh, stuff they had, and the gleanies they had, and everything else. And uh, you couldn't get anywhere near him because every Tom, Dick, and Harry out there with a bloody lamp and squealing their heads off and everything else just educated him so I used the horse and bear in mind I, I, I had shot with an air rifle a few squirrels with the horse next to me a few times and he, right from he, he did a bit, little bit of a snort and a stamp of his foot the first time and then after a couple of times he's like is that all it is 
and uh, he's, he's, he followed me around. He follows me around like a dog. But unfortunately, he's up for sale, so uh, he's going to be going soon, which is a shame because he's. If I had, if I had the time and the energy again, I'd, I'd have horses again and I'd buy him. But I just don't have the time or the energy. No, it's known as the sport of kings because you have to be rich like a bloody king to keep going with it. <laughs> well, that's why I call them hay burners because they don't have to burn the hay. Oh yeah. But, you know, I'd love to have my horses again. Like I say, old George, he's he's down with the hunt, and uh, I just don't have the I don't have the time, you know, the time or the energy now. Um, but you know, horses is horses. They, you know. Oh, oh yes, I train my mare to shoot off her back with the air rifle for rabbit control. Couldn't get near a mouse because the field was open and it went down on a big slope. So I used to walk the horse down quietly and uh, just shoot off her, literally just behind the withers where the saddle would be. And she was quite happy with that. Old experienced mare, armchair ride. But her filly, I had her from 18 months old up until we sold them and she was nearly six or seven. Unfortunately, she um, bolted when she was young, as they say, and grew too fast, Rob. Yeah. So I could never ride her, but I was going to keep her just as a nice horse. So I put her to stud two times and she never took, sadly. Um, but she was one of those soppy things. You could lie down with her, either in the stable or out in the field, and just go sleep on her. Yeah, yeah that, rem- that reminds me of old Blaze, uh, my uncle's horse. My, my uncle used to have another one called Boogie, uh, and he was a Russian dancer, and he was wall-eyed. But call him for his food, and you'd go, boogie, woogie, 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 and he'd dance up the field. Boogie, <laughs> and he was dancing. But yeah, you know, so he was a funny character, he was. Well, that was the, I remember that day, that was when the... He said, when our day, he said, well, watch out for that billy goat. He said, he's getting a bit bit funny. He starts to head button. And as he bent down to get the feed bucket, a goat come in and give him one right at the backside. <laughs> he chased you around with that food bucket. I, I don't think he caught the goat, but the goat enjoyed having a run around. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was just there laughing my head off. He gave one right at the backside, not him flying. Oh, yes. <laughs> Many yarn between us, isn't there? Oh Christ! That. Yeah, listen. If we do get Uncle Dave um, on the podcast, write this down. Don't forget. Ask him to tell you about the night of the Mad Axeman. Is that the infamous story? I already know. Yeah, the one where he nearly blew out his own shadow in the caravan. <laughs> there's more to it than that. I don't want to. See, the thing no. is, Uncle Dave. He's, a, he's the biggest artist, toughest, strongest bloke you'll ever meet. <laughs> Well, he's scared stiff in the dark. <laughs> he's eight, he hates the dark. We go when he taught me lamping as a kid. I think he only used to take me along just for for like you know old as comrades <laughs> and old as and that sort of stuff. Because he'd be like, "Did that tree creak? What's the matter with that tree?" You know, and all this sort of stuff. And, and he, you know, he, you tell him a ghost story or anything like that, and well, that was it. You know, he, he couldn't sleep. His eyes were like wide open. So our dad and our dad and my uncle Mike, they used to do things like that, just scared a stiff out of him when he was younger um, you know I've always been comfortable in the dark I don't know why nothing in the dark to alert you for quite at home it's um, like it's like you know it's like on my shoot people have come up with me on my shoot to come and help me do things they go in my woods and they come out freaked out they said this wood's freaky there's something scary about this wood well I feel as at home as at home as I'm in my mother's cradle when I'm in that wood I mean the amount of times I've sat in the eye seats and different things well never mind the deer I fall asleep you know, I woke up and it's pitch black and there's an owl stood there looking at me. And that ain't joking. 
Tawny Owl sat on me bloody icy looking at me. Yeah. As I tell my children when they come out lamping to learn the ropes, the scariest thing out tonight is me. Yep. Damn right. Listen, do you know, it's like I always remember this particular icy. I don't know if I told you this one before. I was one of the apprentices. I had him on, on this estate and I was trying to teach him stalking for deer. So I'm trying to get him up this edge line with a pair of binoculars and trying to stalk in on these deer. I knew they were there, but I also knew there was two doe led down asleep in the grass. I'd already spotted them. And he stalked right past them. This doe stood up, took one look at him. He didn't even see him. And she looked at him, well, oh, he ate nothing. Went round in a circle, led back down again. So I, was, I thought it was quite I was brilliant. I was sat there watching it. I was on the sticks, watching it with my binoculars. And uh, at this point, something hits me in the leg. And I looked down and a squirrel had bolted away from him and ran right into my leg and stopped to catch a breath and look back. And then he sort of looked up my leg straight at me with his jaw dropping and, oh my God, what's that? (laughs) (laughs) He's a squirrel. He runs about another 10 yards or so, climbs up on his fence post and just stand there in awe looking at me. Now, bear in mind, I haven't moved a muscle. I am in full camo. My face ain't covered, but I've got out on and everything else. And, um... He just stood there looking at me and I just said, you've got to run away or you stay in there. So he, he disappeared off into the woods. So I said, the apprentice, I said to him, right, I'm going to go sit up in the high seat. And I don't know what it was. I knew there was a fox coming in around me pheasant feeders. And uh, I was going to wait for this fox because I knew it was around about the same sort of time. So I sent the apprentice off and he went stalking around with the air rifle and trying to pop off the odd squirrel. And as I'm sat there, I swear it was the same squirrel. He climbs up the bloody icy, or no, he come down the tree. He come down the tree above me and crawled out onto the icy. And bear in mind, it's a big wooden icy. Me and Bruce and all that made this years ago. And um, he stood there, like scratching his ear and everything else. And I'm sat there in this icy, two and a half feet from him, two feet from him. I, and, and all of a sudden, in full scratch, he just, you know, when those double take moments when you freeze and you don't believe what you're seeing? Yeah. It, it was like that. And his jaw dropped again. And uh, he's just looking at me. And, uh, and it seemed like an eternity that I was stood there. Yeah, I was sat there, sorry. And But it was only seconds. Um, and uh, I said, Hit you again, is it? And, like that. and he, he went, ah! And it's just like he'd been shot. He fell off backwards in a froze motion. <laughs> he hit the floor, composed himself, stood there looking up at me as if to say, What are you doing in my woods? when he trundled off well I, I mean I was dealing with squirrels that particular day I had a rifle in my hand oh yes wildlife's a funny old thing isn't it never never fails to amaze me you know no. fails to amaze or entertains or uh <clears throat> you know talking about things like that I mean I remember my, my big matriarch buck I had up on that estate George now, I remember him when he was born, um, and he got to a ripe old age. I actually shot his brother at two years. Uh, he, he was never going to make anything like George was, and he was quite a weak animal compared to the rest, really, his, his brother, the twins. And um, I say, George grew up, well, you saw George. Yeah. Um, you know, that's a high gold medal he was. He was stunning. I'm absolutely But even at the, being that, that dear, I had so many encounters over the years he sort of got used to me and just didn't consider me anything more of a predator I don't think I just you know um, I mean I've even fed him by hand you know as years went on and different things in cold winter and he 
you know, he was there around the green feeders and some grain out, and he was quite happy to take it out of my hand. And uh, I can tell you another funny story about George in a minute, but I always remember him. He was about, I suppose he was like three to four year old. And it was the end of the end of the season. And I said to the boys, I'd put on a roof shoot for him so they could shoot some pigeons. And uh, so we put this roof shoot on and I was in the fir plantation, uh, the pine plantation I was in. And uh, I was in there with a full face veil on and everything else just sat at this one end of the wood, just me, with my back against the tree. And obviously all the boys making noise and the dogs and banging away at pigeons the other ends of the woods. George comes trotting through. And bear in mind, I'm in full camo. Gloves is camo. I've got a proper face mask on. The only thing that's sticking out is my eye. And he comes tiptoeing through. And I still see him now. He's full head, full, full head of antlers and everything else. And uh, he came on and he, just like a scene from Bambi. And uh, he, he got as far as me and he suddenly started wind sending me. And his nose is in the air and he's looking and everything else. And he gets to me, gets to me feet. He starts sniffing. He's working his weapon. He's like, you could see his eyes working like it's like cockle. He said, "Well, this smells like a human, but it's a tree." And he, he, of course, he hit me right in the nether regions. That made me um jump a little bit. Yeah. And he got up, and as he got towards my face, I went, "Will you stop that?" And he fell over backwards with his legs all crossed, as if say, oh, and it was like a scene from Bambi. And I took my mask and I said, "I just literally went, you run away now, George." And he's like, "Oh, oh!" And he ran off about twenty yards and stood there looking at me, going. What the hell are you doing? You could just see this on his face. It was you had to be there to believe it to see it. You know, and, and you know it's just one of those things. And like I say over the years, George just got used to me. Um, you know, he used to walk up, you know, um, you know, and uh, about two winters ago we had poachers in and he got poached, unfortunately. And, yeah, it's very sad. But yeah, but no, I remember I remember doing the deer count. And uh, we were doing a herd, a herd count on the big, big meadow, the big hill meadow, and that was the one where they all used to come out. And uh, you know, it was uh, there's two stories on that meadow that come to mind. One was like, you know, it was like it was again like seen from Bambi when when the big matriarch buck, you know, Bambi's dad steps out and everybody bows and they talk, the young bucks disappear right away and all that sort of stuff. It was like that. I had all these young bucks up on the hill and all the does there running around. And all of a sudden, the bucks, the young bucks, vanished. They, they left and then 30 seconds later George strode out of the wood right down there they, they, they knew he was coming out and they they they, they, they hotelled it out there a little bit oh yes I remember, I, remember this, I remember sat there doing this deer cane now two things happened when I was doing this deer cane I got a sparrow I told you the story about the sparrow nicking me pigeons and that and I yeah and he follows me around the wood a uh, bloody thing he's <laughs> scaring all my pheasants to death he's, you know he was there before they were so uh, he's welcome to stay and um, he, uh, it was just coming on dusk, and uh, it was the same about the same spot as where George s- strode out that day. It was about the same area, and I turned around to the person who was with me. I went, "There's a there's a sparrow there," and he came right across the valley. I mean, it's a big valley. You know how big that valley is. Yeah. And um, he, he, I said, "Sparrow," he comes straight over to me, and he landed on the roof of my truck, and he and he was looking in my windows. He said, "Got any pigeons today?" <laughs> I'm trying to get a picture of him and he's running around on the roof of my car or my truck but uh, yeah the person who's with me you know, we're sat there and uh, like it's all calmed down I've got a few deer on I'm doing a count I mean I'm within 20 yards of some deer they're right in front of my truck they took no nose on my truck whatsoever and these are wild 
row. So, but you know, they know me. I'm not a predator until I need to be. And, uh, no. and by then, they, they, by then, they don't know I'm a predator because I've already dealt with a job. Yes. And you know, you know I'm not telling any lies because you've been there. You know, yes. You see how close I can get to all the deer. And uh, yeah, at this point, this person who hadn't been with me before to to see this tapped me on the arm, and I'm like, "Well," she went, "There's a deer looking in the window." And they're like talking out the corner of their mouth, and I go, "There's a deer looking in the window," and there was George almost licking the glass. You know, <laughs> was, but he's a lovely deer. You know, um, I, was, I was very sad when he got poached. Yes, yeah, like well, you know me. I don't deal with anything. I don't kill anything unless. I absolutely have to, and there's a re- and it's got to be an ethical, right reason for it. Herd management and 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 dealing with the herds properly is what it's about. Um, just to go and shoot something just because you can shoot it, it, that's just not me, and not how I've ever been brought up. Um, no. You know, like I say, you know, with, like King George said, the wildlife of today is not ours to devote, dispose of as we please. We have it in trust and must account to it to those who come after us. And that is how I was brought up, and. Uh, and the same on, you know, I suppose I know on that entire estate, I know every edge, bottom, every ditch, top, tree top, leaf of brain, everything. Wherever it is, I, I know it. Um, you know, it's like George joined me today and uh, he's like, well, how did you know where that was and what that was? And I said, I told him about it. I said, right now, this time of day now, that you'll have this moving through. And he, he said, I found a track. He said, but he said, can you tell me what, this is, and I said, and, and he explained. I said, well, that's a deer trap. No, no, it's too small. I said, well, it's a, probably a munjack track. And I said, did you take a picture of it like I taught you? He said, yeah. So I looked at the picture, and sure as well, it was a munjack track. Um, you know, and I know where they are. They're coming through on that bottom corner. They're going in between the neighbor's woods and mine. And it's nice to see them. We ain't got very many. We only got two or three at, four, at most. Um, you know, if they become a problem, then I'll thin them out. But everything has its balance. I think yourself and myself should have been born about 150 years ago as frontiersmen, don't you? Ah, I know, to a frontiersman. Do you know, in the States, I've spent so many much wonderful time in the States, uh, you know, hunting, tracking with, with, with Native people, with, with the Native Americans, as well as, you know white Americans and, and, or whatever you want to call them um, you know wonderful people um, I've learned some most wonderful things tracking with native people around the world uh, and like Rob cool. I mean spending some time out there with Rob and we were tracking up in the mountains of St George's and Bryce Canyon and uh, Zion National Park and then we were in the desert bottoms trapping and doing all sorts of different stuff uh, from Arizona and Utah and, um, unbelievable uh, you know, but like you say, I think I was born 150 years too late. Yes. Unless right. We come back, unless we've been reincarnated. Maybe. Never know. You luck in a big time. No, you don't. Um, I'm going to finish the podcast with one of my funny stories. Um, I just mentioned I could lie down my little filly. She was. 16-2, but she was quite slight for even though her mum was an Irish draft horse. Um, yeah. 
but she was very, very comical in her ways, and she was called Lucky for obvious reasons. Um, lovely summer's evening. I'm down shooting rabbits. Now, I've already stalked down the field, and I'm lying in the grass, full camouflage on, face net, hat, the lot, gloves, and I've got the air rifle trained at the Warrens. And the other two horses have completely ignored me. Lucky walks over, sniffs me. Oh, I know, that's Greg. That's not Greg. Greg doesn't look like this. And I haven't moved. I haven't acknowledged her. And with that, she takes her front leg. She swings it back under her belly and boots me in the side of the ribs. I went from lying <laughs> prone to stood up, shouting and screaming at her in about three seconds flat. And she was like, oh, it is Greg. Oh, you do speak to me now then. Oh, man, I thought she broke two of my ribs the way she kicked me. <laughs> do you know, that reminds me of my old yearling patch. I taught him how to play football and like uh, the where I used to have a stable, the there was a big manor house and uh his lordship in there. He used to he used to watch me out the window with Patch and he, he knew him as a, a year and and uh oh, I remember him getting him gelded. Oof, don't wanna ever see that again. That was that well, I didn't like that. But uh you know, he, I taught him how to play football and uh well, I remember it being a warm summer's evening. We've been messing around playing football. A couple of hours messing around in the paddock there, and you know, do you know, do a bit of pre-picking and cleaning out and all the rest of it. Yeah. And uh, there was a there was an old uh, apple tree. And I sat down under this apple tree, and bloody horse sat like a dog next to me. Stupid <laughs> dandy, honestly. And then the next thing I know, he's fallen asleep, and he's gone across my lap, and I can't move. And he was he was so he was he was so he was so happy. I didn't want to move him. By the time he decided he wanted to wake up and move, my legs had gone dead. I couldn't even stand up. <laughs> you know, the owner of the manor house, he laughed. He said, he looks at me walking across this paddock. He said, you look like an egg whistler. You kept falling over. <laughs> but there we are, I suppose. Well, that's nigh on an hour. Now, what have, uh, what have we got coming up in the next uh, few weeks, Greg? We've got a few, quite a few um, interesting um, people to uh, interview and yeah. the rest of it. If people want to have a look for an article titled something Edge on the diary, that'll be a clue to one of our guests coming up. Yeah. I'm not going to say any more. Um, I'm in talks with another possible two VIPs for the next few weeks to chat to um, possibly next week we have an even bigger VIP knocking around mm-hmm. and I'd just like to thank all the people that are listening I know it's just a bit of banter between me and Rob and a few stories and all our interviews but in two weeks we've had over 500 hits Rob how about that that's not bad that's not bad for two rough old country boys no I think seven eight nine i think this will be podcast 10 or 11 from between us right and uh thank you very much to all the listeners i still wouldn't want to call them readers but we're listeners (laughs) well that's it we're doing this this live stuff now aren't we so uh yes you know as i say we ain't got a face for tv but we definitely got the voices for radio i think Well, I wonder how many people um, just put us on and it's like bedtime reading material in it. Bedtime reading material. Here we go again. Bedtime reading you material. You're doing it again. You know, I, had a, I had a message I come through on the diary media the other day. Uh, basically, someone laughing so much um, that they nearly ditched their lorry when they were laughing. 
<laughs> so I was coming over from Foxy last night, I drove over a pavement. <laughs> my buddy's like, that's a pavement there, Greg. I went, yeah, thank you very much. Way past my bedtime driving. As long as you want to sleep in policeman. No, I literally just pulled off from the traffic lights and drove to the right instead of the left up the road. <laughs> I think in trouble. You, get, you work all them hours, you're out all the hours of day and night, you, you, you start to fall asleep. It's, uh, you know, but I don't do it, I've never done it at the wheel, but um, that's why, you know, uh, you know, when I'm out under a tree, you've got some funny pictures of me sleeping, but when it's time to get yes. red down, nothing happening, Oof, out cold. Um, yes. You know, I mean, one of the clients out fishing. It was, you know, we were out on the, we were out off the scaries, off there, actually, there, and uh, we were fishing for place and everything else. And of course, we'd all been in the pub the night before, and we're, you know, in the, the sea. I, I, I feel quite at home at the sea. You know, put me in a boat, and it just rocks me to sleep. I don't care how rough it gets. And uh, I'm in the bow of the boat, and I've tucked myself in this corner, and I've got the rod, and I'm asleep. And every time I get a bite, boof, I'm awake, reeling, doof, dropped him back, asked out, back to sleep again. They all tried to they all tried to fool me by pulling the line and things like that. And I knew the difference. I didn't wake up when they were messing around, but I never missed a bite. <laughs> it's the same when I've got, I've got a gun in my hand or whatever. I'm asleep. There I am on the tree, snoring away, and I just have a sixth sense. I wake up, oh, rabbit, oh, fox, rabbit, whatever. I've got to deal with whatever I'm dealing with. Oh, here we are. What wallop. You know, recycle the bolt, put one in the chamber, and let go. Yes. Because I always sit with an empty chamber. I never keep keep a bullet in the chamber. It's always an empty chamber. And I only recycle the bolt when I'm actually going to shoot. So, but then that's I suppose just that's just me. I don't know many people who do that like that. It's just where I'm uh, I don't know. You know, I don't ever keep one in the chamber. There's always is. I always have got. I've always got to recycle. Uh, yeah, that's just what I was taught as a kid, and it's always been the same. Because, and then, although you treat every gun as if it's loaded, if it's empty, it ain't gonna hurt anyone. No. You know what I mean? So, I always keep the I always keep the chamber empty, and only recycle when I'm gonna take the shot. But I said, I don't know if everyone was all like that. I've seen a lot of people when I coach them; they don't. They've got some funny ideas, and there we go. So anyway, we've gone over the hour. Yep. They'll be charging us in a minute. <laughs> oh, I'll better line them up again, landlord. I could do with another one of them Murphys. Yeah. Oh, I tell you what, I'm not to take goose. You got rid of the poor little bird? Well, yeah, now he's in a bit of a doghouse. No, what's he done now? Well, you know, Mag's my secretary. Yes. Well, I went right there for tea on the way back tonight. She cooked tea and because Mags is my neighbor as well. Um, she was a Masonic, she's a Masonic widow and uh, she's now my secretary but her husband was in the Masons like I am and uh, yeah so we went round and she got these lovely pork chops what we got from White's Farm and we're going to have pork chop egg and chips um, sounds very nice but I wasn't in the room she'd already dished up tea I went out to get a drink and then she oh blimey yeah, I forgot something else is in the oven so she dashed out and we got, by the time she got back in Goose is on the table Oh dear. Um, let's just say she didn't get her pork chop. Oh dear. <laughs> so, so Goose is in the doghouse and he's already been scratching at the door wanting to come in. I told him he's got to stay in his bed. So, uh, yeah, so Goose is in the doghouse. He's a, and a little, bu- hey, the little bugger had my lasagna the other week and all, a little sod. 
<laughs> we'll have to change the name to Garfield. Oh, obviously, seriously, it was it was it was it was scolded right out of the oven. It was put it on the plate. Oh, hang on, I forgot my drink. When I got back in, and I oh yeah, it was ah! burnt all his tongue and little sod up and on there. He, he he's starting to learn his lesson now because he ain't going to doing it too often now. Little sod, he's a right little scamp. I tell you, but I tell you what, you can mark. I tell you, squirrels. Oh, blimey, squirrels. I tell you what, if he marks a tree, I guarantee you, I can lay money on there's a squirrel in that tree. You've just got to study hard enough and you'll find him. He mark, If he marks a tree, there's a squirrel in it and he's never been wrong yet. He's got a nose for them squirrels, I'll tell you. Oh, very quickly before we go on about squirrels, you mentioned Mr. Alton in our podcast from last week, our interview, about acrobatic ones. Have you had any more this week? Ah, oh, well, no, see, I've I've outsmarted them buggers. The ones, the ones that were... Um, being a like in the podcast before which was they were setting the sticks off with traps and all that sort of stuff i've, I've cabled with some wire and different things in areas and so that they can't there pull that stuff off uh, and the ones that did they weren't around long enough to educate their mates because i gave them a lead aspirin in the back of their noggin that's all right everyone's tx200s worked hard this week yeah but no one uh, yeah i'll tell you what they is it's, it's again nature amazing just sit there and watch um, these squirrels trying to work out how to get in these traps and how to set them off. I mean, that one we were setting them off with his back feet it was hilarious. Um, so I've, I've, I'm going to talk to Mr. Elton and say, listen, we need a new design trap that is squirrel proof, especially ones that try to maybe narrow the mesh so they can't put the sticks in. No, you just need a trap that's old edge creeper proof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I ain't never caught me bleeding self in it. <laughs> No, but obviously you ain't saying it bloody right if you've got the squirrels tripping it for you. <laughs> no, honestly, you've never seen nothing like it. I never. These squirrels carry sticks up. And Rob thought they were trying to make a dray in the, in the trap. He said, no, no, they poke the sticks through and they work them up and down until they set the trap off. Once the trap's set off, they jump down and eat the maize. Smarter than yeah. the average teddy bear. <laughs> no. so, do you know, it's another thing as well, right? and I don't know if it's... I, wait, I ain't going to say it's the squirrels. I reckon someone's playing silly buggers. But these, these Mark IV fen traps, they've got a safety catch on them, and you flick the safety by catch back over when you're setting them and you're doing stuff. So yeah. You're not going to smash your thumb or whatever if you accidentally slip and they go off. I'm positive I take the safety catch off. When I get back there, all the bait's gone and the safety catch is on. Hmm. Right now, I'm not seeing this to squirrels doing. I ring someone's playing silly bugs. But if I, ca- I I put the trail camera down now, so if I catch a squirrel putting the safety catches <laughs> back on, <laughs> that's it. I'm gonna stop drinking cider. <laughs> you know, that's it. I'll have to stop trapping because if if I catch a squirrel putting safety traps back on and then nicking the bloody stuff. <laughs> I'm going, to say, I'm going to send the back to Rob, Rob out and say, here, do you want to try harder? Because these West Country squirrels are clever. I don't know if you remember a program, a film years ago. It was a kid's film. And it was called The Rats of Nim. And these were intelligent rats that escaped from a biologist, a scientist. Yes. Yeah. And then, obviously, you know, they, they lived and lived in the... They lived in Nim and in behind a stone and there was a mouse and all this sort of stuff. And the owl and all that sort of stuff. That's what I swear these bloody squirrels are. These squirrels are the squirrels of Nim. They're, they're, just, <laughs> they're just super intelligent. You know, what squirrel in the right mind thinks about putting the safety back on before going to try and steal his dinner? I, I'm well, not saying know. it is the squirrels. 
I'm not saying it is the squirrels. I reckon someone's playing silly buggers on me. I, or I'm losing the plot, plot one or the other. But someone think or someone keeps resetting the traps with the safety on and nicking the bait. Oh, you know what it is, don't you? Go on. Because we've talked so many young sports there, all the squirrels who only have ever heard, safety first, kids, safety first. <laughs> <laughs> I keep honestly, I keep thinking I'm gonna go there and there's gonna be a deer with his tongue stuck in the trap and going, nah, 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 nah. and I'm like, um, you know what I mean? It's like, I get every time I get there to check the traps, I'm like, what the blazes? Oh, I've got, and I've got badgers that are climbing trees to do it. I've got them on camera. <laughs> so, I was like, what the hell? I mean, this, these traps are screwed to the tree, five foot off the ground. You know, five, five and a half foot, some, some are six foot, you know. And I think, what the hell's hitting the bloody traps off and setting them off? They, but they're hitting the trap off the tree. So I'm like, this guy's... I got, I've actually got footage of the badgers climbing up between the two V's of the tree. Climbing. You wait till I show you. Wait till I show you. You wait. I'm not releasing it public use or anything like that, but I'll show you, and you'll know what I mean. <laughs> I'm telling you, these animals up there are educated. There's something going on. I reckon in the the rats of Nim or something. You know. <laughs> yeah, that's what can you say? They're intelligent animals. A lot of them. Yes. You know, next thing I know, I'm going to be, st- I'm going to be like Dr. Doolittle before long. I'm going to, they're going to start talking to me or something. And if that happens, that's <laughs> it. You heard it here first, people. Animals of the Wood one, the old edge creeper nail. <laughs> I tell you what, it's, you know, you scratch your head and your back, so and you go, what the blazes has gone on here? You know, it's like, well, like I say, nature never fails to amaze. No. In fact, there's a film called Furry Valance. I mean, I remember getting it from my daughter Emily. Do you ever remember seeing that? Um, yes. I can't remember. He's, he's some sort of builder and contractor. Yes. Um, Furry Vengeance is a movie. Furry Vengeance. That's it. Valance. In the portal and pushing the portal down over a bank, doesn't it? Yeah, that's it. I, I, do you know what I'm swearing? It's <laughs> things like that. Honestly, these animals, these animals are ganging up on me. <laughs> you know, like, oh, here he comes again. We're playing mind tricks on him. You know. Uh, I need to see the news in BBC Bristol and Somerset. Local man trapped in woods won't leave. <laughs> if you if you find me tied to a tree with horse hair or something, then you bloody know the buggers. <laughs> Honestly, I, I swear, <laughs> because I spent so much time. I mean, I've spent the last twenty five years there caring for the place. And, you know, building habitat mm-hmm. and doing everything I do. Um, I've seen some things, but I do. I do. I said these char- these 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 animals have got characters. You know, they really have. Yeah, that's why they've been setting the traps off. They're collecting the cable ties to kidnap you. <laughs> I'll be starting to dream about bloody badgers tying my feet up and things. It's nearly as bad as when I threaten my children. I'll tie you down the woods and let the badgers lick you to death. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I, you know, I, I, let's say the squirrels is the one. It really is. I mean, the, you know, we, we've all seen how intelligent they are and how they can get over any obstacle and everything else. But how they're doing them traps, I will never know. I'm running out of ideas with them. You yeah. didn't leave like a handbook lying around, did you? Now that was it. I didn't realise they could read. 
instructional DVD. <laughs> I just, I'm oh, you're not ready to Google. <laughs> I'm just wait, I'm just I'm just waiting for the buggers of me to go and get the trail cam footage, and there they are having a party and doing the, the old um, forest dance around me feeders and things and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> what was that? Um, what was that? My, my daughter used to watch. Uh, is it, like a load of like zoo animals that are it's cartoon um and then there's like these is it king louis or something like that and, um oh, what's it, what's you're on about jungle book they're not jungle book king louis the orangutan and that monkey no yeah. it's, uh, they're like uh, ring neck cats or something and they're like and they sing and they do oh there's penguins in it as well i don't know it's a kid's it's a kid's series of films, and I'm trying to remember the name of them. Perhaps someone could write in and let us know because that's going to drive me mad now. <laughs> My daughter, she used to love watching all those ones. So was, uh, I can't remember. And there's a giraffe in it, and there's a there's a hippo. Um, and they escaped from New York Zoo or something. I think it was. In the oh, you're on about Madagascar. Madagascar, that's the one. Yeah, that's the one. Where That's the lion gets hungry and turns wild and sees his mate at the zebra as a load of steaks dancing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that, that, that's what I reckon is happening up my woods. With these, these... <laughs> and instead of them being in like little meerkat things with the, 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 the where's the, the the crane thing? That's the squirrels in my wood. No, she would ever be telling me there's a couple of chimpanzees building a plane. <laughs> well, no, never a word said in chess because not a million miles away is, is the zoo. So they have got I know. monkeys and traps <laughs> and um, different things like that over there. Maybe but, the zoo are doing like experiments and these are hyper intelligent squirrels and they've been released accidentally, Rob. Don't you start saying things like that. I'll have to start. <laughs> Leave some ink blots lying around and a couple of IQ tests, see if they get more than you. <laughs> Well, uh, I reckon we've been using my wheelbarrow, you know. <laughs> you mean the one with the squeaky wheel? <laughs> yeah, the one with the squeaky wheel, the one I was doing the feeding with. Because that the other day, I tell you, he went on the same tree as where I left, and I'm sure he went. I reckon, I, I reckon, I reckon them animals up there is, is you know, they're possessed. They got, they got, they got brains. Like I say, rats and them, they got stuff. They got brains, you know. I don't know. Maybe they're just bored during lockdown. They got the internet up there or something. Somebody leave a you phone up there or something. You're gonna have to come and sit there quietly and watch the goings on. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm there the other night to go and deal with a problem, and I got the thermal on, and I just went and checked the feeders. And he's in the dark, and uh, I turn around, and I'm got a deer. He's twenty foot from me. No, he's on there looking straight at me, following me round. I can't see him with my naked eye, but with the thermal, I could. He could see you, though. He could see me quite clearly. I couldn't see him with the naked eye in the wood. It was dark, but with the thermal, I could see him clearly. And, of course, I'm talking to him. Like, what do you want? What are you following me around for? He's just flapping his ears and just, you know. I, I think he's probably just hanging around the feeders or whatever. But I tell you, they, they're animals. They know me out there, and they don't see me as a predator until I need to be with just to let you folks know, if you don't see Rob for a couple of days, check the estate. <laughs> it's not I've gone native. <laughs> Either that, they bloody kidnapped you properly. 
well, yeah, you know. Anyway, <laughs> hope we've had a bit of a laugh. Hope we've made the made the made the listeners, not the viewers or the readers, the listeners. <laughs> I hope we've made the listeners laugh at our uh, our dopey daft country sense of humour. Oh yes, and, and just to let next... folks know, we actually carry on like this in person with each other as well, don't we? Yeah, regardless life. of who's around us. <laughs> no, done it on so many times on a stand. See, the thing is, is once you get chatting to Dad or Dave. Uncle Dave and all that, and, and realise how I grew up with the comedy and everything else. So the laughing and joking and the country boy humour and the, you know, and Dockers on the other side and all this sort of stuff. You know the daftness, uh, you know, come out. You know, um, my granddad was king of the one-liners, and uh, you know, I grew up shock tested with all this sort of stuff. So just talking daftness and dopiness, well, that just comes naturally now. Yes, you know, <laughs> you just talk about any subject and just have a laugh because I can be a funny. This world's a bloody serious place. If you don't laugh about it, you're going to cry about it. So, oh yes. You know, I've oh, one for next week, Rob. Remind yeah. me to remind you to tell the story of the minibus that was late and the Sikhs. <laughs> um. Yeah, and what, what about the one when I said I'd had enough on this motorway and said I'm getting out and walking in the middle lane? Yep, and a certain deer with bad wind, eh? <laughs> yeah. So you see, we've got the stories already to carry on. <laughs> yeah. and, right, and I think that's enough from me and enough from you as well, don't you? <laughs> right, that's enough from you and enough from him. Yeah, I think that sounds better, don't you? <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to replay it back and listen to ourselves. In fact, oh, I'm on about that, very quickly, I bumped into a video on YouTube a very large American guy, um, he had been told to watch Four Candles. And he actually found it funny, but he was stopping every five seconds to explain the jokes to the people watching. <laughs> <laughs> See, that was when telly was proper telly. I, well, as you know, I ain't got a telly anymore. I, I done away with that a couple of years ago. I don't watch it. The funniest thing is, Sky phoned me up today. Would I like to renew <laughs> my subscription? Well, I didn't know, get stuffed. Um, because telly ain't telly anymore. I, I, I've tried watching the modern day stuff. I know you watch a bit of it, but it just bores me. So, I, you know, in a minute, I'm going to... I'll tell you what I'm going to go and watch in a minute. I'm going to watch my John Wayne films. I'm going to put Big Jake on. One of my favourite, cool. that is. You know, me and my paps. My granddad used to sit down on a Sunday and watch what was Big Jake or El Dorado or... Is that the movie where he teaches a little kid to swim? Uh... No, no, that you're on about. Um, I'll tie a yellow ribbon. Um, you're on about where he was. I can't swim, Uncle. Well, and he says, well, it's an easy Whoosh. way to learn to swim. <laughs> um, no, no, Big Jake is uh, one where he plays Jacob McCandles. And the scene right. where he comes into, he's looking over the Winchester. A dog's next to him, he's sitting, and he's looking at his bloke, the Scotch bloke, being going to be on by these two cat herders. And he says, no, sir. No, sir, I ain't. I ain't stuck my name, my nose in anyone's business since I was 18 year old. Sam died near Island got me killed. And then the kid got kicked over and the dog growled. He goes, oh, what do you have to do that for? <laughs> yeah, so, no, I, know, I know the film. Bloody brilliant film. Yeah, no, I've I, I got more. I got, I got, there's only one or two I think I haven't got of John Wayne's. I've got. I think he made something like 120 films and I got something like 118 of them. All right. I, there's, there's a couple I mean I, I managed to get hold of one that I didn't have which was called the Green Berets um, and I managed to get hold of them 
because it's just trying to get hold of certain copies. And I think, believe it or not, a place called Music Magpie was always a good one. Yeah, it was a bit obscure. I'll say what I got the other night as well before I forget, which um, was uh, Quigley Down Under. Uh, Tom Selleck. Tom Selleck. When he goes down to Australia, he's with a sharp rifle. Move uh, the should... bucket, fervor. Move the bucket. <laughs> he said, "Down He said, "You can." And it reminded me of George today because uh, <laughs> that was the funniest thing with this rifle when he when um, Alan Rickman says to to Tom Selleck, he says. Uh, you sure you wouldn't want to get the bucket a bit closer? And he goes, nope, bang, quite sure. And he blows the bucket in here. This is when George said to me, he said, you sure you don't want to move a bit closer? I said, no, quite sure. Bop, nailed the bucket. <laughs> and uh, he, he's like, as I say, George, he just keeps shaking his head. He said, I just don't believe you. So I swear you can bend, bend pellets around corners. Because, you know, I'm shooting through along the trees and, you know, and the, the bones jumping around, you know, in front of us and under us and all over us and everything else. But... Yeah, no, it was a. Yeah, his face, he just walked away shaking his head. (laughs) (laughs) You know. But don't waste waste ammunition. No. You know, I've I've always strived for best practice of the shot. One shot, one kill. You know, I train, train so hard that, and practice that I don't wound animals. Um, Right, there is that chance. You know, there's always a slim chance that will happen. A shot might not go quite right or whatever. But at least if you've trained hard and covered every eventual and you, you know what you and the gun can do. Yeah. Keep it within your own parameters. You know, as long as we do. You know, it's that old muscle good. memory job, isn't it? Yeah, but, but like you say, you've, you've seen me shoot and I don't really care whether it's... I'd rather it be within a certain range, close but I can shoot far or near, it doesn't make a difference. I can pull the shot when I need to pull the shot, and if I don't think I can do the shot, I won't pull the trigger. No. You know, it's that simple. Um, but I see so many people that don't, and they don't train. They don't check their rifle for zero before going out, you know. One of my first videos for Ely was me saying, check your rifles before you got on live quarry. You do it if you're punching paper, and checking that you've, it's, firing correctly and everything's working right before you go out on live quarry is the right thing to do you're missing taking that and testing an untried rifle I think the biggest problem a lot of people feel if they fire a shot everything's going to vanish but that's not always the case is it not really I mean you know twice in the last two weeks I mean like I say you know I only deal with foxes that attack livestock twice in the last two weeks I've shot right and left you know um, all right, not literally stood next to each other, but shot the first one. One's bolted left. I've hit it with a hair squeal, and they always have that last look over their shoulder. Yeah, when I'm already on, and that's when it's too late. Bang, thump, you're down as well. Twice in the last two weeks, and one guy ranting and raving and saying, "I don't believe you can do it." Well, they, those two <laughs> folks who didn't sit in the picture and pose for bugger all. <laughs> They're not yeah. squirrels. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but, you know, uh, you know, the proof's in the pudding. Like I said at the time, I said there's them that say they can, and there's them that know they can. And uh, you know, I never say something I can't do, and I can't back up. No. And if there's any squirrels listening, and you are playing mind games with Rob, please stop. He's too old for it. 
if they keep playing around with my traps, they'll, they won't get very far because they'll get a lead aspirin from our air arms. Yeah, I suppose you could always put the traps upside down in the traps. That would confuse them. <laughs> That'd confuse me. All the bait would fall off. <laughs> yeah, but the scroll looks up. What's wrong with this? Doink. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, cons- I'm gonna have a chat with Rob over at Catch It and uh, come up with a couple of different ideas. Um, yeah. I just think that um, for such situations like this, I mean, and bear in mind, in those traps, I've caught hundreds of squirrels. And it's just these old few. So in those sort of situations, we've got to think of a another way of doing it. And Maybe you could ask Ryan for a rat in the drain pipe idea. <laughs> well, similar sort of idea, but I've got an idea of a tree-mounted tunnel trap. Right, yeah. Um, which, you know, slightly tighter mesh, and if it's done right, the only thing that would go in there is a squirrel. You know, um, I've got just an idea. Well, if you put it up against a tree lengthwise, you know it's right on it, free squirrel slide and see what happens. <laughs> I was thinking of building an assault course first, let them come all the way around, get the confidence, then get them. Little six foot wall and over the rope and down the bricks, yeah, through the swingy um, bit, yeah. Seriously, I, I say I got off the trail cams, so I've got the trail cams there on that bit. Well, I've got trail cams all over the wood, but on that bit, I've got three trail cams for filming from three different angles video and stings. And the cheeky buggers are sat on the traps, they're sat on the feeder bucket, they're sat there and they just they're filling their hearts content. <laughs> Just when you see these squirrels pick up a stick, physically put it through the cage and tap the plate, and it ain't they're trying to build it, they're actually physically almost like you know, like a post whacker when, when you whack a post in. Yeah. They're doing that with the sticks on the traps. And just to let our listeners know, this is marked for fen traps, and you have to use quite a reasonable force to set the plates off, don't you? You can set them more sensitive, but I always set them firm. So, because what I don't want is a trap going off with a gust of breeze when they barely put a foot on it, and then you end up catching one by his foot or something like that, and it's suffering until you get there to put it out as misery. I want it to go on there, boof feet, head in, and wallop dead in an instant. So, yeah. I set them quite free. But yeah, these buggers are there. Well, I'm waiting for one to turn up with a tool belt on a screwdriver. <laughs> I tell you, these. I sit there, I mean, if I hadn't seen it with my own two eyes, I'd never bloody believe it. I tell you. <laughs> There's squirrels of them, I'm telling you. Okay. Oh, yes. It's either that or it's like Die Hard. You killed one and the brothers come back for revenge for a second movie. <laughs> uh, what's that? Well, we're going to get with the number four. We're going to die another day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're going to crash a helicopter with a taxi. <laughs> if I start having to do car chases around the wood, I ain't bloody getting involved. I ain't wasting that much diesel. It's not the first time you got past the wood sideways, is it? <laughs> oh, dear. Well, now. That's what next week's story. Oh, that's next week's story. Yeah, leave that till next week because. Uh, <laughs> I can still see young Phil Crampton stepping behind Shane Agron. going, oh, he's going to hit us. <laughs> yeah. I, forgot, I forgot I had road tires on the Range Rover. I did. I, there's a new Range Rover and I didn't put the new off-roaders on. I forgot there was bloody <laughs> road tires on the damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you, 
the guy who was with me, I think he was, I think he was something like an England shooter or something. He was friends with Shay. I was taking him up round to the manor house because he was he was an air rifle shooter, and I was taking him up to the manor house because they had some problem with rabbits on the main lawn. I said, well, while Shay and I are dealing with stalking the deer and that, well, I'll take you up to the manor house and you can deal with some of the, the rabbits and the squirrels that are digging up this ornamental lawn. Well, when we went down that hill sideways and everything else, and we just, you know, I was angry when they're back in a minute, boys. You know, <laughs> typical Dukes of Hazard style and everything else. Um, he was a big old guy. I can't remember his bloody name. It'll come to me in a minute. Uh, sorry, he's on my Facebook. Sorry, mate, if I forgot your name. But he's got hold of the dashboard of the Range Rover. His knuckles have gone white. <laughs> I swear his backside's bit a hole in the seat. And by the time we stopped and I got back at the audience, I looked round at him and it was like, it was almost like he'd had an electric shock. He was just staring at me with this pale look on his face and white knuckles. <laughs> like, you know, he got, I, I've never seen anybody, he was a big lad, I've never seen anybody get out of a car so quick. <laughs> I don't know why he wanted to walk after that because our attack hill will go and kill him yeah even I don't like walking that hill yeah no. well yeah that was a funny one but you know typical farm boy I, I completely forgot I had the bloody road tires on that damn thing it was a bit of wet grass down that hill and well, we didn't stop we just kept going yeah you wouldn't be the first one that's done that I've done it as well in my old Pajero Farber was doing some edging and went past him sideways he looked over his shoulder and went what the bloody hell are you doing I said I'll be back in a minute <laughs> yeah that was a bit like when we did that and I was like <laughs> I think that's either written I think that's written in my third book on that chapter that, that's actually, that story is actually in my third book I believe sure. it is I think it's the third one yeah, I'm sure it's the oh, well, I'll look for the coming week and tell everyone next week, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It deserves just, a proper uh, <laughs> Oh no, that was that was in the book, the old hedge creeper, the heart rides again. Um and uh yeah, no uh yeah, there's some I gotta admit, you know, looking back especially looking back at my first book, um, talking about when it starts off when I was two years old and we Rupert the Bear Paddington outfit, you know. Um right back remembering the stories as I wrote them you know and, and rereading the books I realised another thing I've noticed with your articles as well Greg when you write over the years we've actually matured in our writing shame our sense of humour hasn't though daft as ever you know but I look at something I look at something I wrote say 25 years ago for a magazine um, and, and I read the article and I realise the youthfulness of the article um, it's still poignant and everything else is, you know it's still a fabulous article but when I read it I read it and understand I'm a younger man yes you know and, and I've noticed it with your articles as well you know the tracking articles and all that sort of stuff you know as we've as we've matured uh, matured <laughs> uh, I'll just say <laughs> I'll just say older um, you know our, our writing styles of matured with it and, you know, you've still got that daft country boy sense of humour, but it's it's. Uh, it's, it's you mean we stop writing crayon and we progress to pencils now? <laughs> well, your Cornish, you still write with your feet, eh? Yeah, but I use pencils instead of crayons now. Much easier. <laughs> yeah, that's because you met. That's because you met all the buggers. <laughs> special cranes in the corner and all that. Oh yes, they're quite tasty. They come in flavours now, you know. 
Do they? Yeah. That's a, that's a bit like your windows. Yeah. <laughs> Everest and Pilkington love us. What flavour of windows do you do? Yeah. <laughs> That'll stop some ringing for a few weeks. Uh, we were talking about that the other night, weren't we, mate? Yeah. Yeah. It's like Wrong. this. Yep. Uh, we've just gone past an hour and a half, dude. <laughs> Oh, I'll, let me tell you this last funny story then. You know, we took you out. A well-known window company and a conservative company kept phoning up. And in the end, I got fed up with bloody IT for it. I've had enough of this. And there was an idea my grand, my um, my old father-in-law uh, gave me. So I said, right, so uh, I had an hour of spare, so I thought, sod this, I'll wind them up. So the salesman is there, right, I'd like to, you know, we've got these new conservatories. All I said, wonderful. I said, I've just come into some money. I said, so money's no object. I've always wanted a conservatory. So I, I kept him on the phone for all. I, and you could just see the pound signs ringing up in this bloke's eyes. You know, I could just hear him on the end of the phone. He's going, cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. I mean, it, you know, the most expensive bricks, thermal line bricks, you name it. Heated walls, heated floors, heated glass, triple tinted windows, electric. You name it. I wanted the best they could get. Everything they had. Money was no object. So by the time the end of the conversation was here, and he did write, he wrote down everything he wanted and wanted, wanted. He said that. He said, right. He said, where do I send our agent round to measure up? I said, right. So it's top floor flat, so and so, so and so, blah blah. And he went, hang on a minute. He said, how can you have a conservatory in the top floor flat? I said, that's right. You stop wasting my time. I'll stop wasting yours. <laughs> they never ever, they never ever phoned me back again after that. Oh. You miss those phone me. calls after a couple of months, don't you? <laughs> yeah, well, it got lonely. It was any people I had to talk to, see? <laughs> you know, talking to the animals and the dogs ain't the same thing. Well, I don't know. The way your squirrels are going, they're going to have bloody new conversations with you. <laughs> when there's an, when the next podcast, I'll tell you a story about squirrel. But right, we'll, we'll get to that in the next one. Because uh, I'm now down to the very last dregs in my pint glass, and I need another pint of Murphy's. I've earned it today, I tell you. After last <laughs> night's fox, it, it blew a bloody uli last night. I tell you what, you can tell I've lost weight. I nearly got blew over. I never got blew over when I was a big boy. No, as I told you this morning, I sent you a picture of me out, Fox. You need good anchors. <laughs> I thought last night I was going to hammer after hammer pegs in the ground, tie a rope round my neck, and bloody hammer myself, peg to make myself down to the ground. <laughs> oh, here's Goose. Here's Go- oh, Goose. Goose and Tilly have just turned up. I think they're just saying they want to go out for a wee whiz. Radio. And on that note, I think we've said goodbye to our listeners. I'll get it right this time. Um, yeah. We'll catch you next time. Yeah.